You ever had a moment where your anger gets the best of you? You know that moment when you're standing in line at the DMV, you know, and you're like, and now serving E624, and I'm like, when is this ever going to end, you know? Or have you ever had that angry moment when you're on hold with the cable company, you know, and they're playing that music, and like the, you feel the rage sort of boiling up inside of you? Have you ever had that angry moment where your anger gets the best of you, where uh, you're, you're, you're about ready to leave the house and your kids can't find their shoes. And you're like, how can they not find their shoes? It's not, it's, the house isn't that big. Like, they, they should be in the same place every time. How do you not know where your shoes are at this moment when we have to be out the door, right? Or if you have little kids, you put their shoes on them, right? You did that. And then they got in the car and they pooped all the way up their back, up the car seat. Have you ever experienced that? That is a special kind of thing if you've never, that is like, and you're already running late and you're like so angry, right? Have you ever been angry like that? Have you ever had that moment? Or like, have you ever had the moment where you bought a, where you bought a house with your then new marriage uh, with, with your wife and you decided to resurface the hardwood floors of the house that you bought in, in Norfolk in 2001 and you got really upset with each other because you can't figure out how we're supposed to do this properly and you had different ideas about how the floors need to be redone? Have you ever had that moment? I mean, it's a generic example, guys. It's just a for, for instance of like a thing somebody might like really lose their mind over. Um, yeah, I, I, we've all experienced the anger, Right. Uh, we've, we've all experienced. In fact, the psychologists tell us that there are uh, several different emotions that we're all born with. They disagree about which emotions are the ones you are born with, but all psychologists will agree you are born with anger. That is one. So anger is deep inside of you. And I think as we go into this series called Manifesto, we, we, we're talking about um, different issues and aimed at men, and we're talking to men today, although I think the topic of anger um, applies to everyone. We all get angry. I, I think where it goes into destructive ways is, is a may, maybe more of a man problem than a female problem, but we know that women get angry also. There's a whole line here, right? Like, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, right? Like, so that's a thing. But with men, statistically, uh, it's, it's maybe worse. Uh, they do a national study every year called the National Crime Victimization Study, and they look at all crimes committed in America. And what they find is that violent crime, 90% of the time, is committed by men. Um, and, they, and they actually show a study on um, anger and aggression. So let me just show you the stats from it. This is called, uh, this is an aggression uh, data here. And so the red, the red line is men, and then the, the, the blue line is females. And then there's a dotted line over here is the assault threshold. So when anger boils over into something that is, we would count as assault, it happens. Every, every, um, all the ones under the red line are men committing assault, and then under, under the blue at that dotted line are women committing. So you can see that far more men commit assault than, than women do. Um, and, and that generally, as the, as the, the male curve there is to the right of the female curve, generally men are more aggressive. In fact, if you take any man or woman in here, there's a, there's a 65% chance that the, men, the man is more aggressive. Um, and, and if we could figure out who is the most aggressive person in this entire room, there's basically a 100% chance it's a man. Uh, th that's just how the data shows up. There's other interesting stats around that. Men, are, uh, men commit acts of violence towards animals at a rate of 38 to 1 over women. Now you say, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, that is actually an early predictor of who might become a murderer. Uh, and so there's, there's this rage thing that goes on in men, and there's some pretty dark stuff there. Now, a lot of times what we'll say here is we'll go, well, the reason men are angry is because we socialize them to be so. We tell little boys, you need to fight, you need to be strong, and all these things. But this kind of stuff holds true 
in every culture all over the world and throughout time. Men have always been a little bit further into the aggression side than women have, no matter what culture they were born into. You you run the same stats. 87% of violent crime in in Russia, for example, is committed by men. Like this, the numbers hold up. Men are uh, more angry and, and, uh, and, and have more aggression. And so this brings up questions to me. And maybe the biggest question is, why are you so mad, bro? What's the deal? Why are we so angry? What, what's raging inside of us and what's, what's, it, all, what's it all about? And, and then follow-up questions like, what are you going to do with that anger? How are you going to channel that in a productive way? Are you just going to burn it down or are you going to do something good with that? And, and, and how are you going to wrestle that thing down? How are you going to handle this rage monster that lives inside of you? And so in this series, we've been talking about a guy named Samson. And Samson is kind of an anti-hero in the Old Testament. He's, he's used by God in some pretty powerful ways, but he's also kind of a, a, a mess up. He, he has all sorts of potential. He is born for a purpose. God chooses Samson and says, I want you to help start the process of delivering the, Phil- the Israelites from the Philistines, the people that, they, that are living around them, um, because God's people are giving up their re- ethnicity, their religion, their faith, all these things. Um, they're giving them, them up to the Philistines, and, and this needs to change. So God chooses Samson, and so Samson has all this potential, all this heroic potential and promise, and he ends up squandering it and blowing it all over the place. Last week, we talked about lust and pride that got the best of Samson, and he started chasing women and causing problems there. And, and this week, I want, I want you to see how anger um, uh, really messes with this guy because he has, he has just potential oozing out of him, and he ends up being kind of a colossal failure. So uh, what I told you about last week is that uh, Samson had an eye problem. He saw this woman who's a Philistine woman, and he decided to marry her. And in the book of Judges in the Old Testament, chapter 14, it records this marriage that uh, he marries her. And during around the marriage ceremony, he ends up telling some guys this riddle, and they want to know the answer to the riddle, and he won't tell them. And so his wife, his new wife, comes to him, and she says, tell me the answer to the riddle. And he's like, get off my back. I'm not going to tell you. And she's like, why don't you trust me? And that becomes the first major blow-up of their now new marriage, and they end up separating. Uh, Samson gets irritated, kills 30 people, and then uh, his wife is then taken, like he leaves her, and then she, she ends up being given to his best man to, to be married to. So it's the original Red Wedding from the Old Testament. It's really dark and uh, some pretty, pretty rough stuff. Well, in chapter 15 of Judges, um, that I want to look at here in a minute, Samson goes like pathological crazy. Like he burns it down, literally and figuratively, and I want you to, and I want you to see it. Uh, we'll start with ja- J- Judges, chapter 15. This takes place around 1200 B.C. Uh, we'll start with, with verse 1 here. After some days, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat, and he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber, but her father would not allow him to go in. So a little bit after the wedding, he kind of sobers up, calms down, and he goes to his, his father-in-law's house to see um, his, his wife, and he brings with him a, a goat, which, I mean, flowers maybe? I don't know. Like maybe roses would have been easier here. Like he brings this peace offering like, she mad, bro. All right, I'm going to bring a goat. I, just be glad, guys, that you don't have to bring a goat anymore. I don't know about you, but I would not goat wrestle well. And, I, and so, but also, let's be honest about what's going on here. He says, this is Bible being real subtle again, he goes with a goat to see father-in-law and his, and his wife, and he says, I will go into my wife in the chamber. This is an ancient booty call. There's no other way around describing what, that is what is happening here. And it says, but her father would not allow him to go in. So dad 
It's standing up and saying, uh, no, bro, you, no, you're not going to get anywhere near her. You, 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 you can try that if you want, but I'm going to stand. I'm, it's my role to protect her, and you're not, you're not coming near her, right? So dad seems pretty noble until verse 2. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. What? What? Dad of the year, guys. Well done, dad. Um, but there's a, okay, there's a culture very different than ours a very long time ago. And this was a, a, a thing. And he was just like, yeah, you can't have her, but her sister's real pretty. She loves it when I say that, too. When I call her more pretty than her other sister, she loves that. It's a really good family dynamic. Why don't you just have her instead? It becomes this, like, weird thing. Now, Samson uh, doesn't like this response uh, because he's, he wants to be with his wife and, and all that. And so um, this is the moment, then, that Samson is going to burn it down. Look at verse 4. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And we had, when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the, the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. Crazy, okay? He grabs foxes and comes up with this elaborate plan where he's going to burn down their standing grain, their wheat fields, their olive orchards. This is a big deal because he's not just burning down his father-in-law's property. It's kind of that town, that area, the Philistine town. He's burning this stuff down. And the wheat and the olives, this isn't just a food supply. It's also their wealth. So he's burning down their food and their money because his father-in-law locked him out from being with, with his wife. Um, And then it actually gets worse. Verse 6. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and gave her to his his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Whoa. That escalated quickly. What a mess that is. So to sum up here then, he goes to see his wife, after he's killed 30 people at the wedding, he goes, lets that lie for a little bit, goes to see his wife. Dad's like, nah. And then Samson's like, fine. And then burns it down, wheat fields, orchards. And then the Philistines realize that their wheat fields and orchards have burned down. They're like, who did it? Uh, they said Samson did. And they get, here's the reason why. And then they go and burn uh, Samson's father-in-law and his wife. Um, this is a mess. And the unchecked rage becomes a death spiral right? Oh, I did this. Now, you no, we better pay them back. And, and back and forth it goes. You've probably seen this in your own life. Anger followed by anger followed by anger. And we keep stacking these things on, upon each other. And, it, and it's a complete mess. Verse 7. Um, and Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Edom. So he he says, man, I, th- okay, that's how you want to play. You want to burn my, my family. Um, I'm going to th- get my revenge, and then I'm going to quit. So he beats on them, and then he goes and hides in, in a cave. I'll get my revenge, and then I'll quit. Is that ever how it works? No, it doesn't work that way. Because here's what happens. You get your revenge, and you think we're even, but they feel like they need to revenge the thing that you just got revenge for. So you hit them, and then they're like, wait a second. We're going to hit back, and then Samson will be hit, and then he'll be like, I'm going to go hit them back. And, and back and forth 
it goes, and it just never stops until one person does what Jesus says, which is turn the other cheek, to one person says, I'm not going to do this again. I'm going to lay down arms. I'm not going to fight anymore. Um, and so he, he sees this thing coming, and he goes and he hides in the cave. Um, and, and then it gets extended out beyond just Samson and the Philistines. It becomes the, all of the Israelites get dragged into this thing. Look at verse 9. Um, then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so have I done to them. Well, they did it first. Does this sound like a child? Well, they did it, so I did it back to them. And I, and I read this, and I'm like, man, he is just like a, a man child. He is just like not grown up. He's just like, Ugh. And, I, and I thought, who would do that? Who's going who's gonna to really take it to this level and, and justify it by saying, well, they did it first? And here's the reality. We all do that. Now, you might be here to be like, dude, I, bro, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kill someone like Samson. I'm, I'm not gonna rage like that. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pay somebody back um, with that kind of, with that kind of rage. But you'll do other things to retaliate, right? I'm not gonna talk to my dad because he was a jerk to me growing up. So forget that guy. Uh, I'm not gonna support my coworker because they said something mean one time about a project that I was working on. So forget them. I'm not going to listen to my wife because she berates me and nags me and I'm just real sick of it. So I'm going to, I'm going to show her, by, I'm going to treat her how she treats me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, be, be kind to my children because they can be such brats sometimes. They're just totally on my nerves and I'm just so, I can just get so over them. And so I'm going to be jerks back to them, let them know what it feels like. And are you right? I mean, you may be right. All those people, you may be giving them exactly what they deserve. You may be right but you're not being helpful. You're not helping them. You're hurting them. And ultimately, you're hurting yourself. So with Samson, back and forth it goes. Rage, followed by rage, followed by rage. And maybe in your story, that's how it's gone. My dad said this, and then I did this, and then so he said this, and then I did this, and back and forth you go. Where does all that end? Is that going to end well for anyone? Verse 13, they said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came out shouting to meet him. So Samson uh, allows himself to be tied down. The the, his people gather him and they bring him to the Philistines to, to put an end to this. And, and everyone's excited when they see him. They're like, we got this fool. He has been tied up. Um, we got him. And then it gets real weird. Look at verse 14. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Okay, God's spirit comes upon Samson. Okay? And the ropes that were on his arm became as flax that has caught fire. And his bonds melted off of his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, this is a song, okay? 
with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. It's not a good song, but it's a song that he, that he sings. It's, it's a little weird. Uh, doesn't sound catchy. Um, what, what is going on here? Because if you're skeptical of the Bible, and I, I understand that, I, I, I get that. Um, you read these things, you're like, are you serious right now? Because we read this and you go, okay, clearly this guy's a loose cannon and a problem. And then somehow, in the midst of that, God's spirit enters him. So now God is getting involved. And when he does that, the guy breaks off these chains like He-Man by the power of Grayskull. And he's like ribbing these chains off. He's like, ugh. And, and, and then he grabs a, a bone of a donkey and he stabs a thousand dudes and just kills people and then sings about it. Like, this is the kind of stuff that we want to tap out. We're like, I don't, I don't get it. And if, and if it's so far away, it's so different than my experience of culture and life, and it's so different than what I understand of God, like God gave him the spirit to do this, like that doesn't make any sense because the God I know is love and peace and joy and happiness and, and kittens, and this is like he's, you know, killing people, and it sounds terrible. And, and I understand the skepticism why is God cool with or even empowering Samson to kill a thousand uh, Philistines like this? Well, here's something you need to about the Philistines. The Philistines worship a couple gods. We'll talk about one next week. But this one, uh, one of the gods they worship is Baal. And part of worshiping Baal is that they believe that Baal is the god of, of the weather. And so if you want good weather, so you have good crops, so that you have food and money, um, they, would, they felt like Baal needed to be appeased so that they would have good weather. And so they would do regular sacrifices to Baal. And one of the things that they did was they would sacrifice the firstborn child in a village. So of their own people, they would go into a village and they would, uh, the, the priests and leaders would choose a, a child from a family and say, this is the one we're going to sacrifice. Everyone else in the village was really glad because their child wasn't chosen. The one family whose child was chosen to be sacrificed, they're weeping and wailing, and so the priests would play, beat drums and play horns to kind of drown out the sound of the screaming, crying parents, and they would take the child into the center of the village, and they'd put him up on some logs, they'd tie him down, and then light it on fire. This is what they did, this child sacrifice. This is what the, the Philistines would do. And eventually they figured out this isn't awesome to continue to do this to our own people, so they would start to do it from the people they conquered. Enter the Israelites. They're, they've, they've, they're dominating the Israelites, and they're taking Israelite children now and putting them on, on the altar and burning them up in, in worship to Baal. Archaeologists have found some sites where there's like 300, the ashes of 300 bodies of, of kids that were, that were burned in that. And uh, man, it's horrible. Sometimes we read stuff in the Bible and we're like, that's horrible. I got news for y'all. The ancient world is horrible by our standards. Like, it is rough. There is rough stuff going on. It is not sweet and, and cozy and, and loving and, and, and all of those things. Um, and, and Jesus says, and I don't know if you remember this, but Jesus at one point says, man, if you're going to hurt a child, you might as well like have a, a weight tied around your neck and you'd be thrown into the water and drowned than have to deal with me. Um, God doesn't play when it comes to that kind of stuff. And so what a, one thing I get out of this is, is God empowering Samson to do this. God is trying to deal with the vulnerable and the hurting and he's trying to deal with the people who are causing great violence and pain to families and, and particularly towards children. Um, so I think there are really two types of anger in this story. 
there's, there's one type of anger that's the bad anger. It's the vengeance anger. It's the, you did it to me, I'm going to get you back. I'm going to burn it down. You didn't let me see my wife. You see a lot of that in Samson, a lot of ways that he blows it. That's the bad anger. That's I'm inconvenienced, I'm upset, and I'm going to rage. The good anger is this righteous anger of God is doing something to, to cleanse something, to, to heal something, to, to, to right an injustice that, it, that is going on. There's, there's a good and bad anger. Not all anger is bad. Um, Proverbs 14, 29, there's lots of verses about anger in the, in the scriptures, but here's one. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, meaning you can get angry. It's okay. Men, you can get angry. Um, but you need to be slow to get there. If you're hasty, if you've got a short fuse, if you're hot-tempered, a hot-head, quick-tempered, all of those things, uh, that's going to cause you all sorts of problems. And some of you, some of you brothers are like, I know exactly what you mean because I have burned it down. Um, it's okay to get angry. It's, it's, but you have, to be, you have to be slow to get there. Here's another one, Psalm 711. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. This is the side of God that we don't like or that we don't like to talk about in modern America. We like the idea of God being loving and sweet and rainbows and just he's great to us and he's really wonderful. Um, and, and God is loving and, and that, is, that is true. But he's also, Scripture says, he's a righteous judge. He says, mm, that's not right and we're going to deal with that. And he, and he brings justice. And it says, it actually says God who feels indignation every day. There's some sort of anger rising up in there. God feels it every single day. Whoa, that's not how I picture God. God who's like a, a constant simmer of anger. And well, why does God feel indi- indi- indignation every day? I think probably because he has a Facebook feed. And so he's probably like, oh, seriously? No, but if, if you look at the whole world, if God can see all the world all the, at all times, then he can see all the injustices happening globally. And if you're dialed in at all and you love humanity, if you love us, if you love people, aren't you angry at the injustices you see there? Of course God's angry at that. He's going to deal with it. And so one of the things I learned from that is um, it is actually okay to express anger, and you shouldn't suppress it. God actually deals out in his righteous anger um, and, and pours that out on injustices. And it's an okay thing to express it and not suppress it because if you suppress it, it could eat you alive. But you have to ex- express it in a healthy way. Over the years in raising, in raising sons, I have had the good anger and the bad anger as a parent. The bad anger is when um, my kids do something that annoys me. Uh, they're loud when I want them to be quiet. They're awake when I want them to be asleep. They're uh, asking me questions when I want to be left alone. They're, and then I get angry at them because I'm inconvenienced and I'm selfish and they're uh, needing me to be something highlights my own selfishness. I don't like that feeling either. So I get angry with them and I have lashed out in anger at times. There's also the good kind of anger that I've had with my kids. When one of them is rude to their mother or to another one of them or one of them beats on the other one, there is an injustice here in a cosmic scale that needs to be dealt with. That's not how I say it to them, but <laughs> it's not like, you know, this child has... has, has done something to this child and we must make it right in, in, in all of the universe. Like, um, that it's okay to be angry about injustice when you see it. Um, and so there's a good anger and there's a bad anger that shows up all over the place. Um, and, and it definitely has shown up in, in parenting. Man, if you're angry, you shouldn't suppress it forever. Um, 
you, but it should be measured. You may need to sleep on it and, and, and think through it, but you also need to speak up because people around you can't read your mind. So to sum up, uh, we are angry and it is not all bad. Uh, something in our anger is useful. In fact, something in our anger boils over into violence and sometimes that's useful too. It's a weird thing to say on the week that we've had yet another shooting in this country where, where somebody boils up over in anger and takes that out in violence. And that is a mess and, and, and that is wrong. Um, but sometimes men rising up in anger and with violence is needed. Never towards women, never towards children, but sometimes the violence is needed. I'll give you an example. In, in 1914, a group of, of angry young men, 18 to 20-ish years old, uh, in Yugoslavia formed a, a group called the Black Hand, the Society of the Black Hand. And these men found out, they, they were angry about uh, the Austro-Hungarian Empire and how they were treating their, their homeland. And they found out that the prince, the sort of the Prince Charles of his day, the prince of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Archduke Ferdinand, was going to be in Sarajevo. And they, they set out, 20 of them or so, set out into Sarajevo to watch the parade of the, of the Archduke going by. And in his motorcade, they threw a bomb at him that didn't exactly work. And then, um, sort of by chance, one guy named Gabriel Princip walks out, one of the angry young men walks out, and he shoots Archduke Ferdinand um, and, and kills him on the spot. Uh, and that causes a problem in the history of the world. Um, if you know the story of World War I, that's probably... One fact we remember uh, that about World War I, right, is that uh, it was, didn't that one guy get shot in that one place and that's why it started? Yeah, that's why it started. Uh, Austria, the Austro-Hungarian Empire basically declared war on Serbia. Serbia is a small place. They reached out to Russia and said, can you help us? Russia said, we'll help. Uh, once Russia got involved, Hungary reached out to Germany and said, hey, Russia's involved, can you help? And Germany said, yep. Once Germany got involved, Russia reached out to France and said, France, can you help? And they said, yep, you got involved. And then Germany rolls into Belgium, violates their neutrality, and then England decides to get involved. And eventually, in rolls Turkey, Italy, or the rest of that world. One little event, tw 20 or so angry men um, erupted into violence, and it starts a powder keg that ignites the world for four years. Uh, for four years that rages, and 37 million people die. 37 million. It's, it's, it's hard to get our head around those kind of numbers. And, and violence, men's anger erupting in aggression and violence started the thing, and it ended the thing. It ended when people stepped up and said, this has got to stop, and Americans started getting involved, and lots of fresh troops were sent over, and, and they, they ended the thing with violence as well until on the 11th hour of the 11th month in 1918, the hour that we're in right now, 100 years ago, um, that it was, it was ended in the armistice and a, and a ceasefire. And you thought that would have been good enough. You thought nobody wants to go get into that. But 20 years later, guess what happens? Another guy rises up in Germany and says, this didn't end well for us last time. We're really going to fix that. And they start what we call World War II, which is really World War I Part, part B or something like that, where he rises up again and the slaughter continues and millions and millions of more people die, and it ends up being the Philistines and the Israelites kind of played out on a grand scale of, I get you, no, you, I, that wasn't good, I'm going to get you back, and I'm going to get you back, and nobody wants to turn the other cheek and lay things down. And that ends when men get angry enough to step up and get violent, and they got violent at Normandy, and they put an end to the thing. Um, violence and men's anger is not the problem. Evil is the problem. And anytime we get angry, evil is crouching at the door. 
and there's an opportunity there. There's an open door, and that's why we've got to be careful. We have an emotion in us of anger, and it's useful. It's important. It's in us from birth, but we have to be careful and not let it flow into evil, not let evil to have the space to, to, to come on in. Um, because it would be easy to conclude, man, if men weren't so angry, we wouldn't have so many messes in the world. And I get that. Um, I just don't think anger is entirely the problem. I think evil is. Ephesians 4 says, in your anger, do not sin. It means you can be angry and still not sin, or you could be angry and sin. It is the anger combined with sin that becomes the problem. Sometimes anger is a useful emotion. I think the challenge for men in our culture today is that a lot of men are angry because we have nothing to really fight for. There's no like cosmic struggle. Like We don't know what we're here for, what we're good for. We, we used to be valued because we were strong, which means we could plow a field. But now we're all sitting on iPhones and laptops, and it's like nobody cares if I'm strong anymore. You know, like There's, there's been some challenges. Um, it made me think of, um, I always think about when I think about men, men and their struggle, the, the movie Fight Club, which I'm not allowed to talk about, but I will tell you this one quote from, from the book. It says, it says this, we're the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. And we're slowly learning that fact, and we're very, very pissed off. And I, I read that, and I just thought, he's tapping into something that is real in, in men in our society, that there's no grand fight and, and yet there's something in us that wants to fight. There's no grand story and there's, nothing, there's not anything to get outraged about. And, and so we, we channel that into all of the wrong places. So where should we go with our anger? What is a righteous anger? What is the way to, to deal with it um, in a godly way? I think when we get into the word in the scripture like we talked about last week, if you get into God's word, you start seeing things that make God, ang- God angry. And if, you, and if you get involved in that stuff, that's maybe a little more uh, where we could channel our anger. So, for example, God is angry when there's injustice in court. And so maybe you step into that system and try to bring about some justice in that system. God is angry that when widows and orphans are not taken care of. So in Virginia, right now, there's 5,200 kids in the foster care system, uh, 1,000 of which are legally free to be adopted. Kids who don't have a home um, and, 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 and or who don't have a forever family, I should say, and, and, they're, and, they're, and they're waiting for someone to, to reach out and open up their home. And in this state, we have a ton of, Commonwealth, excuse me, in this Commonwealth, we have a ton of homes and, and a ton of good families and, and places for, for kids to have a home. And, and does it bother us? Do we get angry that, that kids don't have a spot, that they don't, don't kids deserve that? It's no fault of their own that they're in the situation that they're in. Don't they deserve a, a safe and loving spot to land in. Can we get angry about that, men? Because my experience of working in that system, primarily women are angry about that. And what would happen if men did too, and we, we stepped into it as well, and, and joined forces with the women who were already doing some work there? What, what might change if we can, if we can lead, lead that charge? Can we get angry about that? Not just get angry because our football team loses and we throw the remote across the room. I mean, that's like acceptable anger for men. What if we channel it towards some real injustices in the world and, and fight those. That is the, that is the uh, godly anger. Not when we're angry just because something's inconvenient to us, but when we're angry because we see injustices. So you need to read God's word and see what's in there. 
but also this, you have to have God's spirit. Notice in, in, in the story with Samson, the only thing you could say is good in this thing is when God's spirit enters him and then something happens. Um, that God is, is using Samson to do something. When Samson's freelancing and not using God's spirit, it becomes a mess. Can you, men, can, can you have God's spirit in you and, and then channel your anger? Um, we get God's spirit in us when we, when we give our lives to Christ, when we are baptized into him. This is why I challenge you to be baptized all the time. We've baptized several people here in the church over the last couple weeks. And if you haven't been baptized, write on your connection card, baptism, we'll reach out to you. We could baptize you today. We have water ready now. We have a, a baptistry set up permanently in our new space. We could baptize you today, um, and you could give your life to Christ. And God's spirit enters you and, and begins to go to work on you and, and change your affections and, and change some of your desires and starts really um, doing some powerful things. Um, and, and, and it'll help you in the way you channel your anger. So... Lastly, I just want to ask the question again. Uh, why are you so mad, bro? Why are you so mad? Are you mad at the things that actually grieve the heart of God? Or are you mad at the ways that you've been inconvenienced? Let the anger that's in you be more like a light on the dashboard that is telling you something in the car needs to be fixed, something's going on under the hood. Let that anger be a signal to you that something needs to be fixed and then set out with God's Spirit to fix it and make some things right and fight the injustices that are around us. Um, the world needs men who will stand up to evil. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for the heart of, um, the heart of Jesus who, who calls out the injustices he sees. He calls out persecution. He calls out um, religious leaders being overbearing on, on the synagogues and different things in his day. Um, God, I, I pray that um, you help us to also channel our anger towards uh, the great injustices of our day, that we will have eyes wide open. We will see the places that are broken, the places that don't look like heaven, and we will wait in there and, and, and get to work and start to fix them. Um, God, uh, you are a awesome God and powerful and you are a righteous judge and we, we acknowledge that, we submit to that and say that our judgment is not always perfect but yours is. God, may your spirit work through the men and women in this room that we will uh, join together and, um, and really bring about your kingdom here on earth and, and work towards it and, and, and do good work here in this city and beyond. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.